We've started a new sermon series here last week. If you haven't been here before or if you haven't been here in a while, we started a new sermon series last Sunday called Knowing Your Enemy. Knowing Your Enemy. In this world that we live in, there are lots of different potential enemies that we have. But the one enemy we are talking about, specific enemy we are talking about, is the enemy of our souls. We're talking about the devil. You may be thinking to yourself, that is an odd thing for a church to be talking about. That is an odd thing for to come to church and, and hear a sermon about the devil. Um, but that's, that's what we're talking about. All month of October, we're talking about uh, the devil. We're talking about knowing your enemy. We talked last week about knowing who your enemy is, and we discovered through uh, the study of Scripture that the devil is, in fact, our enemy. Uh, today, we're talking about knowing who your enemy isn't. Who isn't our enemy? It's one thing to know who your enemy is, but it's another thing completely and another thing entirely to find out and to discover and to talk about who your enemy is not. Because sometimes we get involved in battles, we get involved in fights with people who are not our enemies or with things that are not our enemies, when in reality we should be fighting against our true enemy, the devil. Um, uh, In the coming weeks we're going to be talking about, next week we're going to talk about the tactics uh, that the enemy uses in, its, in his battle against us. We're going to talk about how to defeat our enemy in two weeks. And then on Halloween Sunday, we're going to talk about the destiny of our enemy. So that's where we're going the next few weeks. If you, Like I said, if you've never been here before or if it's been a long time, we encourage you to come back and, and join us for those messages. Join us for a time of worship. As you can tell, we do things a little bit differently around here. We have a great time. We have a wonderful church family, uh, people who really care about and love one another. And uh, we're growing as a family of faith, and, and we're really glad that you're here today, uh, if this is your first time. Uh, we are involved in a battle. I truly believe that we are involved in a spiritual battle. And being involved in a spiritual battle means that we have a spiritual enemy. Now, that is completely different than what we tend to think of as an enemy, what we tend to think of in our world as our enemies. When we think about our enemies, we think of maybe a foreign nation. We think of maybe uh, the guy who cut us off in traffic. We think of the the person who drives us crazy at the office. We think of the people who uh, are somewhere out there who are opposed to everything that we stand for. And that's not the case. And we're going to see why that is today. Uh, If you will turn in your bulletin, uh, if you grabbed a bulletin this morning on your way in, on page three is a sermon outline. And you can do a couple things with that. You can fill in the blanks in that outline as we go through the sermon this morning. uh, And that'll tell you one of two things. That'll either tell you very interesting and and pertinent information about our sermon, or it will tell you when we're almost done. And uh, you can tell your neighbor, when he gets to number three, wake me up, okay? So... uh, uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Bible. Uh, turn in your Bible to Titus chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, the uh, Bible verses are going to be up on the screen this morning. So in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we see uh, what it says there. It says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. Titus, this guy Titus, was a Gentile convert and a leader in the early church. And the Apostle Paul wrote him a letter teaching him how to lead in the early church, uh, in the first century church. And that's exactly what happens. He teaches him uh, some important things. And one of the things that he teaches him is that the government is not our enemy. We see this again in Romans chapter 13, this verse right here. It says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now that's important to remember, that the, the government is an instrument of God. The government is a tool of God 
God has established our government over us to rule us, uh, to keep the peace. Now, sometimes people will look at the government and think the government is our enemy. But the government is not the enemy. That's the first blank on your outline. The government is not the enemy. We think about the political climate in our country. We think about Republicans and Democrats. We think about the president and the vice president. We think about Congress, the judicial system. And depending on which side of the aisle you're on, you look at the other side and go, well, they're the enemy. They are, theolo- they are ideologically and politically opposed to... <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> they, are theologi- they are, I'm sorry, politically and ideologically opposed to what I believe. That's the enemy. And we live in a country where we have been pitted against one another. And so we tend to think, well, that person who represents that political viewpoint, they are my enemy. That is not the case. The government is not our enemy. If you are uh, a a Republican looking at a Democrat-controlled Congress and a Democrat-controlled White House, you may think, that's my enemy. Or four years ago, if you're a a Democrat and you're looking at a Republican-controlled White House, George W. Bush is the president, you may be thinking, he's my enemy. We may be tempted to rise up and rebel against our government, to to maybe even overthrow our government as they do in other places. That is not what we are called to do. We are are called to submit to the governing authorities, to respect our leaders, because they are the authority that God has established. God has instituted that authority over us. And if we truly believe, if we truly believe that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God is in charge then we will respect our government. We will respect the governing authorities. We may not like everything they do. Chances are we are probably not going to like everything they do. But we have to live peaceable lives. We must peacefully live in our country. As Albert said in his prayer, this is the greatest country on earth. Whether you agree with the government, whether you agree with the president or the Congress or the judicial system, it's still the greatest country on the earth. And we must live peaceful lives here in America. And like I said, if we truly believe that God is in control, if we truly believe that God is in charge, then he knows what's going on. He is not surprised by what is happening in America. You may be opposed to something like, you may be opposed to abortion on demand. Abortion on demand has been legal now for 37 years. In January of 1973, abortion on demand was legalized in Roe v. Wade. You may be violently, you may be terribly opposed to that. God knows what's going on. Rather than acting violently against our government or against uh, places that provide abortion services, we're called to live peaceable lives. There are ways to peacefully demonstrate. There are ways to peacefully uh, deal with that problem. You may be opposed to gay marriage. A lot of people uh, in our in our world uh, are proponents of, of gay marriage and it's not like god is uh in heaven looking down going what is i can't believe when did that happen did i did i doze off for a few for a few years what's going on down there god knows what's going on god sees what's happening he is the ultimate judge he will judge those who uh, act opposed to the bible who act opposed to his word, who act opposed to his will. God knows what is going on. Look, in Romans chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, 
Paul continues. We looked at verse 1, but I also want to look at verses 2 and 3. He says, He who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. We may be tempted to to rise up and rebel against our government, but that is to rise up and rebel against what God has established. The government is not the enemy. Some of you may be thinking, yeah, it is, but no. We we learn from Scripture that the government is not the enemy. Uh, Another uh, enemy that there is potential, uh, people who go to other churches or, or other Christians we may look at as the enemy. You may be thinking, what in the world is he talking about? Other Christians is our enemy? Let me explain this for just a second. Um... People who go to other churches are not the enemy. People uh, who may go to a different Christian church or may go to a a different church altogether, they are not the enemy. In John chapter 9, verses 49 and 50, uh, Jesus was talking with the disciples, and the disciples were arguing amongst themselves over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They had a pride issue. They needed some humility. And so they're fighting about who's going to be the greatest. And John comes up to Jesus and says, Master, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. The disciples thought they were all that. They, they, they were high and mighty. We're, we're Jesus' best buddies. We're hanging out with the Master. We're, we, we watch him do miracles. We go where he goes. He teaches us. We're pretty special. That's what they thought. And they were pretty special. But they weren't the only ones who had a relationship with Jesus. They weren't the only ones whom God uh, had called to do things. And so Jesus tells them, do not stop them. Whoever is not against you is for you. We're all on the same side. There's a joke, one of my favorite jokes goes like this. Uh, a man dies and uh, ends up at the pearly gates of heaven. And there he is at the pearly gates and he meets St. Peter. And St. Peter uh, says to him, welcome to heaven. The man says, oh, wonderful, it's great to be here. He said, let me show you around. Peter tells the guy, let me show you around. So he's walking him down a long hallway and on either side of the hallway are different rooms. And he walks past the first room and... Uh, the man says, what are these rooms for? He goes, well, these are the rooms where different churches are, where they uh, praise God in, in their own way. Oh, okay. So he walks past the first door, and uh, inside are people worshiping very reverently and quietly. Who are those people? Those are the pious Christians. They worship very, very reverently. Oh, okay. They continue down the hall. You hear noise and loud music coming from another room. And people are clapping their hands and jumping up and down and shouting hallelujah. He says, who are those people? Those are the Pentecostal Christians. They're very excited, very excitable. They worship God in a, in a different way than the pious Christians, but they're still worshiping God. Oh, wow, okay. They continue down the hallway, and Peter looks at the man and says, I need you to be real quiet. Why is that? Well, because this next room we're going to pass, those are the Christian church Christians, and they think they're the only ones here. Why do we laugh at that? Oh, because it feels so true. <laughs> Everyone else is wrong. No one else understands. No one else has got it right. Our enemies are not other Christians or Christians who attend other churches. 
You know, we, we've gotten into this mindset in the church, not just in the Christian church, like Griffith First Christian Church, but, but in the church nationwide, that, that we got to be right. I, we are right. We got, I've got the corner on the kingdom. We understand things better than everybody else does. We got it figured out. How is that? How could we get to be so arrogant that we think we understand all the mysteries of God? That we think that we've got it all figured out, that we've got our thumb on it, and we know, and we're right, and everybody else is wrong, and, and so we tend to look at them as our enemies. Now, there are things that our church, that the Christian church, you know, there's about 5,000 Christian churches nationwide, about 1.2 million people or so. One of the biggest churches in America, Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, has about 20,000 members. It's like the fifth largest church in America. There are some things that we do very well. There are two things especially, I think, that we kind of emphasize that I think are really important. The first being communion. We take communion every Sunday. You may be wondering, why do you guys do that? Why do you take communion every Sunday? The reason is because that's what the first Christians did. The very first Christians of the Bible in, in the book of Acts, they took communion every Sunday. And we want to follow their example because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we follow their example. We take communion every Sunday. The other thing that we do, I think, very well is that we, we put in, an emphasis on baptism and the importance of baptism and the role that baptism plays in the plan of salvation. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a plan of salvation that God has. I believe it's a four-part plan. And that plan is to believe, to believe that Jesus died for your sins that he's the only way to be saved, to repent, to turn away from sin and turn to God in repentance, to confess, to publicly confess that you believe that Jesus died for your sins, that he's your Lord and Savior, and to be baptized by immersion for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you go on to live a faithful life. Now, some, to some people, that sounds completely foreign. That count, sounds very strange. I went to a Baptist seminary for three years when I lived in Minnesota. I went to Bethel, uh, Sem- Bethel Theological Seminary. And I had a lot of friends who came from different denominations. We had many conversations, sometimes heated, about the role of baptism in the plan of salvation. And they, for the most part, disagreed with me. But I look at what the Bible says, and I look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. He said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those are, the, those are Jesus' words. That was his command, that all nations be baptized. I don't think it's optional. I don't think it's just the, the first act of obedience. I think it is part of God's plan of salvation. Now, don't get me wrong. It is the, the water doesn't save you. There's nothing. That's good old Griffith tap water with a little extra chlorine in it. That's all it is. But when you, when you have faith and repentance and baptism all together in one big plan of salvation, some people go, well, baptism is at work. It's something that you do. No, baptism is an act of submission. Baptism is something that is done to you. You can't baptize yourself. You can't go home, jump in your pool and go, woo. It's not how it works. Someone baptizes you. It is an act of submission. It is submitting. It is obeying. Something that Christ has commanded us to do. And as far as I understand, when I look at the Bible, I don't see any of Christ's commands that are optional. Loving your neighbor as yourself, it's not an option. It's what we're commanded to do. Loving God above all others, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's not an option. His commands are commands. We do them. Now, we may look at other churches and say, they don't get it, they don't understand it, they don't have it right. doesn't mean they're our enemies. We have to work together. 
There are things that we hold in common. There are people in other churches who love Jesus as much as we do, if not more. There are people in other churches who want to see an end to things like poverty, who want to see an end to things like abortion, who don't want to see things like gay marriage come into being. There are people who support missions that we support. Maybe a, a crisis pregnancy center or a, a, a shelter for, for women and children. There are social issues that we agree upon that need to be, to be dealt with. We can feed the poor together. We can demonstrate against social issues. We may look at other churches like other Christian churches, churches that, that kind of like ours that have the name of Christian church in them, and we may think, you know, there was a, <laughs> a recent example uh, of a church that, uh, that planted another church kind of in close proximity to ours. And there were people who, you know, were really frustrated by that. There, maybe some of you were really frustrated by that. I talked to another minister at another church in another town not too far from that church, and he was really frustrated by it. But the way I see it, there are probably about 10,000 people in the Griffith Highland area who don't know Jesus. And I don't care what it takes. If you've got to plant 200 churches in Griffith and Highland to reach those 10,000, then we do it. Because people need to hear about Jesus. And if they don't find a home here at Griffith First Christian, that's okay. They can go somewhere else and, and they love Jesus there too and they can worship God there too. We're not the only game in town. And like I said, if we've got to plant 200 churches, we've got to plant 2,000 churches to reach 10,000 people, then let's do it. Because the most important thing is not bodies and bucks. The most important thing is people hearing about Christ and people putting their faith and trust in Him and people going to heaven. That's the most important thing. Our egos may be bruised a little bit. We may be a little frustrated. We may not understand why they're doing things the way they do. But you know what? Until we're at the point where we're busting at the seams, we're ready to build another church building across town, let's just worry about ourselves. Let's worry about getting the people who don't know Jesus into this place so they can find out who he is, how much he loves them, and how he died on the cross for their sins. People are not our enemies. The government's not our enemy. Other Christians are not our enemy. People are not our enemies. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, in Ephesians 6, 12, Paul wrote that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, according to Ephesians 6. The, the, you may not like people. You may have people who frustrate you. You may have people who drive you up a wall. They are not your enemy. Our struggle, our battle is not against flesh and blood. People are not the enemy. It's, it, it may be the president of the United States. It may be the prime minister of Iran, not your enemy. The people sitting across the office from you, the people sitting across the sanctuary from you at this very moment, not your enemy. This guy on the stage, I'm not your enemy. I have done dumb things. I have made big mistakes. I have hurt people. I have disappointed people. I have let people down. And you know what? I'm sorry. I have made mistakes in ministry. I continue to do so. I will continue to do so. I will continue to do things that I shouldn't do. I will, do th I will not do things that I should have done. I have made mistakes. And I apologize for the mistakes that I have made. And I promise that I will try to do better down the, down the road as I continue here as a minister of First Christian Church. But I want, I want you to know I'm not your enemy. We're on the same side. We're working together, we're fighting together, and we're fighting our true enemy. We've got to fight the true enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your ex-spouse is not your enemy. Your boss 
is not your enemy. Your brother, your sister is not your enemy. Your children are not your enemies. Our enemy is not people. It's not the government. It's not other churches. Our enemy is not people. And so the question is, who is our enemy? If it's not the government, if it's not other Christians, if it's not people, who is our enemy? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the rest of the verse says this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The devil is our enemy. Satan is your enemy. And he will do whatever it takes to take you down. And one of his greatest tactics is to get us fighting against one another. To get us fighting against other Christians, against other churches, against the government, against other people. So that we fight against one another all the time. And we, we waste so much time fighting against other people. We waste so much time fighting against uh, governments. And we waste so much time fighting against other Christians. When in reality we should be concentrating all of our efforts on joining hands and linking arms and kicking down the gates of hell. That is what we should be doing. Fighting our true enemy and not one another. The devil is a dangerous deceiver and he will do whatever it takes to take you down. And we must fight. We must stand together and fight and never, ever give up. For he is our true enemy. And we're going to see in about two weeks that he can and he must be defeated let's pray heavenly father i thank you for the the testimony of your word which teaches us so much about who our enemy really is and who our enemy is not i pray that you would help us to work together with other christians work together with our government work together as fellow believers to change the world to to tell people the good news that jesus christ is lord of all that he died for our sins and that he rose again and he is a risen Savior who can, as the song says, move mountains. Thank you, Father God, for your word, for the truth of it, for the joy that it brings to our hearts. And again, I pray that you would help us to not view one another as enemies, but to fight, to stand together and fight against our true enemy. We praise you, we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.